If you have your Bibles, pull them out. If you have your, uh, your uh, iPads or anything like that, you'll definitely need them. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, research today. Uh, before we start recording this section, I just want to give you a, a quick heads up. There's going to be some slides that pop up that I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, and so feel free to, some of you once in a while, pull out your cameras and take a picture of the slide. Uh, and this day, you might want to get ready to do that. Uh, because there will be a lot of stuff, a lot of information that I put onto these slides so that you can use the information. Every one of us has people in our lives that question uh, different aspects of the Bible, whether or not something is true. That's very normal. And as a part of this, we can start recording now if I didn't say that. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Brian. As a part of us trying to help you help them, Uh, We want to be a church that is viable in this culture. And so we've joined with a bunch of churches, just over 900 churches in the Chicagoland area, to deal with seven major topics, seven major questions uh, that people ask concerning theology, concerning the Bible, concerning God. And so we've called this Explore God. Uh, You can jump on the website. You can see um, an area at the bottom there where if you have questions about whatever's taught here on Sunday, you can email your, or you can text your questions to VCE Sermon, same number, 555-888, and we will get those questions uh, and deal with them every single week. I just did a podcast this week. We dealt with the questions from last week. I'll do a podcast this week where we deal with the questions from today. So We're trying to get you to the place where you feel comfortable answering these questions yourselves. This is more than just me doing some research and blah, giving it to you. This is an effort for for us to be able to uh, do some really concrete study, put some stuff in a really easy, usable terms, and then give it to you so that you can use it yourself. And if you're here just checking out Christianity, you're kind of wondering what it's all about, uh, we want to make sure that you have the answers that uh, you deserve to have as well. Because I want to tell you, God goes way out of his way to answer all of these questions in Scripture. And uh, if we diligently take the time to search, we will find answers for these questions. Um, The question this morning is, is Jesus really God? Yes, drop the mic. No, he, uh, uh, we, we, we need to really answer this question faithfully. We live in a culture that might answer this question about who is Jesus a bunch of different ways. You've probably heard some of these uh, answers. Jesus is a good pro- is a prophet, or Jesus was a good moral teacher, or Jesus was only about love, or Jesus accepted everyone, or Jesus would never judge anyone. These are popular phrases about Jesus Christ that people will answer today without doing much research at all. They kind of get their information from somebody, you know, somebody else who read the Bible once in a while, or (laughs) the newscasters who have turned into theologians. But wherever you get your answers from, uh, it's very important that you do diligent research so you can actually say, "I, uh, I know what I'm talking about. These are typical answers you might get from our culture. But I have to tell you honestly that the Bible goes way out of its way to answer this one question. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, those all sound like good answers to me, um, I want to tell you, my greatest challenge for this message today was how much to leave in the message. Because there is so much material on this question in the Bible Uh, it would pretty much shock anybody that's looking for it. Here's just one example. This is out of Colossians 1. Colossians 1 talks about Jesus Christ, and uh, and this is just uh, two verses in Colossians 1. Look at what it says in Colossians 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that say about Jesus? He is God in human flesh. The firstborn of all creation. That's a Jewish way of saying Jesus is paramount. He's first. He's before all things. He's like our favorite, our most important uh, uh, point of reference. He's the leader of all creation. He's the star of creation. Verse 16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. Any doubts? For by him, all things were created. Jesus is the creator of all matter. The chair you're sitting in right now is a result of Jesus' creation. Way back when, that got manipulated and interpreted into something that you can put your, you know, you can sit on right now. Everything that is created was created by Jesus Christ. In heaven or on earth, just to be sure, visible and invisible, 
all angels, all invisible, all visible things, whether thrones or dominions, Jesus chooses kings and nations and puts them into the physical realm, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, kings, leaders, all of these things were created by him, uh, or sorry, were created through him and for him. So you get the message, Jesus is clearly uh, creating everything, not only the agent in creation, but he's creating it all for himself. Interesting. Verse 17. He is before all things. In other words, he, is, he predates matter. And in him all things hold together. The power that holds the matter together comes from Jesus Christ, from the Godhead, from the power of the Godhead. Verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church. He uniquely loves and cherishes and leads his bride. That's the church of which we are a part of the universal church that exists around the world. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and everything, so that in everything he might be preeminent. Firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? He was what? He was resurrected, right? How many people do you know that's been resurrected? Right. He is uniquely resurrected. And the firstborn from the dead, people have been raised from the dead in the Bible a couple of different times. But the difference with Jesus is he rose to never die again. That's why I think Lazarus got a short deal out of this whole thing. You ever wonder about that? Like Lazarus is dead, and that's a hard thing to go through. But now he's in heaven with his loved ones. He's, he's rejoicing. He's playing golf. What's golf? It's brand new. I love it. So Lazarus is loving life, right, in heaven. And all of a sudden, Jesus raises him from the dead. And he comes back, and he's stinky and dirty, and he has to jump out of the, the tomb. He must have been like, seriously? What? And then he had to die again. Like, here, uh, I think Lazarus got the short, short end of the stick there. But anyway... Jesus did not go through that. Jesus rose once from the dead, never to die again. 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, in Jesus Christ, he was not just part God, he was fully God. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Any doubt in who we're talking about? The verse 19, or verse 20 just kind of puts the nail in it here. If you're wondering who we're talking about, who this who this person is, it's the one who has shed, shed his blood on the cross, raised from the dead. Jesus, because of all of this, Jesus wants to reconcile humanity to God. Now you might be saying, okay, Craig, well that's obviously showing about what Paul thought about Jesus. Is Jesus God? But what did Jesus actually say? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about what Jesus actually thought of himself. Here are only a few, and you can find a ton if you just do the research. Here's a few. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed his miracles proved he was God. Jesus claimed to be the only way to heaven. Jesus claimed to be the one who would judge the world at the end times. Jesus claimed to be the one who would offer forgiveness to the world for any sin that was committed. Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd, the light, the bread that came down from heaven, the way, the truth, the life, the visible form of God, even the I am Yahweh himself. Jesus claimed to live before Abraham lived. Again, this is not, this is not me talking. This is just all in scripture. You can find all of this, which amazes me because when people say, who is Jesus? And you say, well, he was a good teacher. Ugh, he was so much more than that. Jesus thought he was God. And people in, in Jesus' day, just in case you're thinking, oh, Craig, you're taking all those verses out of context. Ah, let's find out. Because in Jesus' day, when Jesus claimed to be God, people did not react well. For instance, if I came up here on a Sunday morning and I were to say to you, brand new revelation, everybody. I found out I'm God. Not, not a God, the God. You are looking at God in human flesh. How would you respond? <laughs> exactly like you're responding right now, right? Your eyes would be huge. You'd be like, that is the dumbest thing we've ever heard, right? In Jesus' day, they responded exactly the same way. You had a guy walking around claiming he was God. And some people were so offended by that that they tried to kill him a couple of times that we have record of. Here's one, John 6, 41. So the Jews grumbled about him, just like you would. Once I left the room, you would all turn to yourselves and you would say, Craig has lost it. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, 
Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph's? Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? You know what they were saying? Dude, we know this guy's mom and dad. Joseph and Mary raised him. And, and he claims that he was born and Joseph wasn't his actual dad, but we all know the truth about that, right? Joseph and Mary couldn't stay celibate, couldn't stay apart from each other, and so they had Jesus out of... We know the story about Jesus, right? And now this guy claims to be God? People did not respond well. And they mocked him and didn't even believe that he was born without Joseph interceding. How could somebody like this possibly claim to be God? Now, people even have a problem with this today. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, Craig, you know, I, I, I can kind of understand that. People have a problem with Jesus claiming to be God today. Uh, how many of you know anything about what the Koran teaches about Jesus? Would you like to find out? The Koran teaches that Jesus was not God are you kidding? That would make, uh, that would make um, uh, Allah, Allah uh, that would make him dualistic. Allah did not have a son. Jesus is not God. Jesus was a good prophet. Just in case you're thinking to yourself, well, Craig, that's just something you heard. No, no, no. I've actually read the Quran. Here's a couple of verses you might be interested in. Surah 4.17 says, Allah is the only God. Far be it from his glory that he should have a son. That's pretty plain, don't you think? How about Sarah 575? The Messiah, son of Miriam, son of Mary, is only an apostle. You need to understand, there's no other religion on the face of the planet that has ever claimed to have a human being who is God who's pulled it off. A lot of people claim to be God. They usually end up dead. Now you need to understand too that this is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is completely different from what the Quran teaches. The God of the Bible and the God of the Quran are completely worlds apart. It's easy to find this out, by the way, if you just bother looking. Let me tell you about the God of the Bible. Jesus Christ thought he was God. Over and over and over he did things and said things that would prove this. When he cleaned out the temple, we have that in John 2, 19. Jesus answered them and said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus cleans out the temple, and he said, If you destroy... He looked at the temple, and he said, This temple is going to fall within 70 years, and it did. The Romans came in and obliterated it. But Jesus uses an example, and he said, If you destroy this body, three days I'm up again. Amazing. To Nicodemus the Pharisee, you know these verses... John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus talks about himself in the third person in John 3, and he says, I am the Son of God. God sent me to save you. It's amazing that everybody, to me that everybody loves John 3.16, but it's so blatant that Jesus is probably out of his mind if you don't believe that he's God. Say that verse in your mind. Look at that verse and see what Jesus is saying. I am the son of the living, true God. He saw a Gentile Samaritan woman taking water from the well in John 4 and 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You're talking to the one you're waiting for. To the people who loved religion, he said in John 5.18. This is why the Jews were seeking the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Church, would you just say the next phrase with him? Making himself what? Equal with God. To the religious rulers, John 5.39. You search the scriptures, Jesus says, because this is all Jesus' words, by the way. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about who, church? Jesus says, you, you want to look in the scriptures and find out what God is doing? You need to understand every verse was written about me. How would you feel if I stood up in front of you and said, the Bible that was written, everything was in there is about me? You, you, again, you'd think I was out of my mind, right? That's in John 5. And then he said, yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. To the religious rulers in verse 46 of John 5. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Because Moses wrote about who, church? Moses wrote about Jesus. 
To his own disciples, he said in John 6, 32, Jesus then said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives true bread from heaven, for the bread of God who is he who comes down from heaven and who gives life to the world. He was referring to himself. Just to nail that down a bit more, look down at verse 35, same chapter. Jesus said to them, I am that bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven. How would you like for me to stand up in front and say, listen, I just want you to know, not only am I God, the verses in Scripture all talk about me. Moses wrote about me, but I actually have come down here from heaven to see you all. You'd think I'd lost my mind. And so did they in Jesus' day. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is, by the way, just the first six chapters of John. So if you ever meet anybody that says to, you, says to you, well, Jesus never really said he was God or implied that he was God or anything, this is just six chapters in. I haven't, I haven't gone beyond that. Does that not blow you away? If you simply take a look at Scripture and find how many times Jesus refers to himself as God, it is everywhere. And just in case you're thinking to yourself, well, Craig, you're still stretching it a bit because his disciples... Um, uh, his disciples really didn't get it. People didn't really get it. He was kind of talking around in terms. By the time you get to chapter 8, this is what Jesus says. John eight uh, fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... What's the next two words? Do you know what I am means to the Jewish people? I am is a name of God. When God introduced himself at the burning bush, uh, Moses said, who, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? Because he's never going to let all these people go just because I show up and say, hey, let my people go. So he said, okay, what you need to do is tell them the I am sent you and blah, blah, blah. There you have the name of God, the I am. And whenever the Jewish people would talk about God, even to this day, they will not use his name. That is the sanctified name. And yet Jesus in John eight fifty eight says... Before Abraham was, I am. And just in case you're thinking to yourself, well, they didn't still get it if you jump up to, verse, uh, to chapter 10. The Jews answered him and said, It is not for good works that we're going to kill you, Jesus, but for blasphemy, because you, being a mere man, make yourself out to be who, church? There's no mistaking. If you do a very basic look in Scripture, you will find Jesus thinking he is God, saying he is God, teaching he is God, and doing God-like things all over the place. So if you ever meet anybody that says, I'm not sure if Jesus was God, but he sure was a good teacher, or he sure was a good prophet, then you have a problem. Because if you consider me a good teacher, and I stand up in front of you one day and say, hey, New revelation, I'm sent from heaven. God sent me himself. In fact, I am the very essence of God. Everything you've read in scripture talks about me. And uh, yeah, and you can actually call me God. Just use the name for God when you call me that from now on. You would think I'd lost my mind. And in Jesus' day, it was the same way because people understood fully that he was claiming to be God. And if I ever did that, you'd probably walk out of here thinking to yourself, Craig, if Craig has lost his mind, Craig is not a good teacher. Craig's a wacky teacher, right? You can't be a good teacher and lie to people all the time. You can't be a good teacher and think you're God. Either you are or you aren't. And that's why C.S. Lewis came up with this little possibility, three possibilities about Jesus Christ, and here they are. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. We have to stop the silliness C.S. Lewis talks about referring to Jesus as a good man or a good teacher because good men don't lie. Good teachers don't think they're, they're God. Unless they're a pastor of Bartlett of Village Church. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding, too. <laughs> That's for you, Michael. <laughs> Good teachers don't claim that they're God. People tried to excuse the real Jesus then like they do now. He teaches like he's authoritative, but maybe he was nuts. His miracles were undeniable. Maybe he's a tool of the devil. The Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in every action that he did. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies fulfilled by Jesus to the T. 
but maybe you just got lucky. And so after we boiled it down in our study together, Michael and I got together and we worked on this diligently. There is one thing, one major thing. You can say he was a loony. You can say he was a good teacher, but he lied once in a while. I don't know. However you want to excuse Jesus. But if you're going to answer the question of, is Jesus God? You are left with one major event that turned the world upside down and cannot be refuted. Do you know what that one event was? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do you do with an empty tomb? <clears throat> In John 10, Jesus says this. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is Jesus talking about the death he was going to suffer. He says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. What does that sound like? Resurrection to you? So not only is he talking about his death, he's talking about his resurrection. And then he says, this charge I've received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said again, he has a demon. He's insane. Why are we continuing to listen to him? The resurrection is the exclamation point of Jesus' life. God alone has the keys to life and the grave. Let me be very clear on this. No demon has the power to raise anybody from the dead. It's never been done. It never will be done. This power to raise people from the dead is only God's and God's alone. Christianity hinges on Jesus' resurrection. And therefore, the answer to this question, is Jesus God, has to hinge on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to raise from the dead. It's another thing to talk about it your whole life. And say, if you kill me, I'm going to raise again in three days. If you tear this temple down, I'll raise again in three days. Jesus constantly prophesied that he would not only die, but that he would raise from the dead. And even if you want to talk about it like it's going to happen, try pulling it off. Jesus talks about it, and it's one thing to brag about it. Jesus pulled it off. What do you do with that? This is something that cannot be swept away. The resurrection has ramifications for every person who ever walks this planet. Before, during, and after the life of Jesus Christ. Acts 17.30 says this. Paul knows this very clearly. And this is where we left off last week. In verse 30, Paul says to this group of people, remember they're gathered at Mars Hill? Remember he's debating them? Do you remember all this? If you didn't jump online, you can, see that you can, you can catch the podcast. But Mars is, uh, on Mars Hill is where all of these intellectuals debate one another. Paul walks in there and he starts, let's say, okay, let's debate theology a little bit. Let's stop talking about whether who burned whose olive trees down, because you could also do that at Mars Hill. Let's talk about Jesus. And he doesn't bring up Jesus' names. He just talks about how this pluralistic society is in search of a God. This is the end statement that he makes in verse 30. He talks about, you worship all these gods that you don't understand, but I'm here to tell you I, I have the revelation of the one true God. He made you. He, de he determines your parameters that you will live in, how far your reach will stretch in life. He talks about who God is. And then he gets down to the very end of verse 30. And he says, the times of ignorance, in other words, in the past, times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance by what church? You can read that. And of this he has given assurance, read with me, to all by raising him from the dead. Any questions on who we're talking about? And they knew in Athens, on Mars Hill, who he was talking about. Paul says God's truth is nailed down in the person he who died and rose from the dead. He is the anchor of our truth. If, if Jesus actually rose from the dead, his claims to be God must be taken more than seriously. They have to be believed. How can you ignore this proof? So you might be sitting here thinking, okay, Craig, if you're going to hinge it all on the resurrection, let's hear some evidence. Like maybe scripture got manipulated, maybe the disciples got bamboozled, I don't know. Maybe all of these different, maybe, maybe, maybe. So what we're going to do is we're going to throw a lot of, the, all of the best arguments that I could think of up on the screen, and we're going to go through them. And the purpose in doing this is not to prove to you that Jesus was God. 
The purpose in doing this is to help you understand how you can help others see Jesus is God. Because apparently he makes no apologies for claiming this his whole life. And this is key to our salvation. So let's talk about some evidence. My favorite one, actually, is the disciple evidence. If the tomb was empty, how do we know that it was the right tomb? How do we know all of these things? How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, there is evidence through the disciples. For the disciples, in John 21, John 20 to 24, for people who hadn't heard about the resurrection or hadn't seen the risen Christ yet, there is some very poignant attitudes and focuses and character that they were displaying. Here's three of them. Their focus was they went back to business as usual. Jesus is dead. And when people die, they don't come back. So here we go, back to work. we got to make a living, right? That was three years wasted. Now we go back to work. That's in John 21. John 20, their attitude was they were gathered together and they were scared. So they were hiding together. Why were they scared? Because they had just beat the living daylights out of Jesus Christ. And guess who's next on the list? All his followers. So they're hiding. They don't want to be next. Jesus is dead. So they don't want to be, they don't want to be dead either. And their character. They were discouraged and sad. That's in Luke 24. There's nothing to live for. Three years of wasted life. I wish I could have those three years back, right? But after every one of these folks saw Jesus, because he appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection, after these people saw Jesus, their attitudes, their focus, and their character completely changed. And I would love for somebody to explain to me how that's possible. To go from discouragement, hiding because you're next on the list, afraid, discouraged, and sad, to this. Their focus in Acts 1 is, forget the fish, let's get busy doing what Jesus called us to do. They are now going out into the world, establishing churches, spreading the message that Jesus was preaching, and you wouldn't do that if the guy who was preaching the message is rotting in a grave. Their attitude completely changed, and they went out, instead of being afraid and hiding, they go out into the world to preach the message that they did believe in and now are convinced of. Their attitude is climactic. They're choosing the 12th disciple. When they choose the 12th disciple, they were just determined because uh, Judas hanged himself. You remember that. So they had to get one guy to fill in for Judas. And you know what the qualifications for that, that guy was? They, they, have to have, uh, they have to have seen the resurrected Jesus. If that's so important for, for, for point, getting leadership for the church, then you've got to know that it was, uh, it was a climactic experience for them. And their character was bold. Peter who ran away, is now pointing, you can see this in Acts 4, pointing fingers at those who killed Jesus and accusing them of, killing, of, of murdering Jesus Christ. And all the disciples kept on preaching the gospel, and they were beaten mercilessly for it. But you know what they did? They just kept on preaching. I want to tell you, if you do not see a resurrected Jesus, if this guy's claims do not come true, you don't go throwing your life away. And these guys were convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead, and so they, they went out and boldly proclaimed the message that Jesus uh, preached them. And the only thing that can make a difference in them is seeing the risen Christ. Peter denied Christ to, see his own, to save his own skin. But then he, <laughs> then he just, uh, Peter turns into a completely different guy. I, I'm just amazed. When Peter uh, saw Christ, remember one of the times he saw him, it was on the beach, and, and uh Jesus says, have you caught any fish? You remember that? And Peter couldn't wait for the boat. Forget the paddling, and he jumps overboard and swims in. When you see your best friend, your loved one, person you would die for, die, and then come back to life, I'd say your character would really change. What about the tomb? Well, Craig, there are lots of reasons why, why people believe in an empty tomb but how can we actually prove it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here are some of the top ten, uh, or the top five, uh, uh, excuses for not believing that there was an empty tomb. Number one, Jesus was only unconscious and later revived. He didn't actually die. He just kind of fainted away. And in the coolness of the tomb, he felt better. And he got out. All right. So, a couple of different things that are problematic for that. A Roman soldier told Pilate that Jesus was dead. 
Do you remember that story? All right. Uh, uh, so uh, the Roman soldier says, uh, I didn't break his legs because he's dead already. Now, the Romans, knuckle-draggers that they were, they stole all their intellectual property from Greece. They were really kind of Neanderthals. But one thing they knew how to do really, really well was kill people. They loved to do that. They did it really, really well. If you got a guy hanging on a cross, and the guy in charge of the people hanging on the cross going to Pilate and saying, yeah, this one's done, that guy knows what he's talking about. And then he shoved a spear into him, and then, you know, all, all of those things into the dead body. The Roman soldiers didn't break Jesus' legs because he was dead already. Uh, then you've got Jesus' best friends, uh, converts. Did you know Nicodemus in uh, John 3 became a believer? Do you know who wrapped up Jesus' body to put it in the tomb? Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up with Joseph and they wrap up this body and throw it in a, and, and put it in that tomb. And by, and by the way, if you're going to rise from the dead and you swoon on the cross after being beaten mercilessly by guys who like to beat other people and do it really well, and you got three days to heal, and then you've got to get through this big boulder. By the way, that's another issue, but you've got to get through the big boulder. But let's say you do all of that, and then you've got to appear to 500 people. You're probably not going to be in your prime. Jesus shows up to all these people, and none of them comment, oh, man, he looks really bad. you got to get to a hospital, dude. Jesus shows up, and people are calling him Lord and Savior. So the swooning idea doesn't hold a lot of, uh, a lot of water. All right, if you want to take a picture of that, you're welcome to. You, you, I'll, I can make these available online, too, if you want. Number two, well, Craig, it was the women's mistake. They went to the wrong tomb. All right, let's ask that question. Maybe they did. Maybe they were so distressed that they ended up going to the wrong tomb and they find another tomb with a big stone near the entrance because stones are always used at tombs. And maybe they, could, they were confused. All right, so let's use that because that's a really good one. Like, if they went to the wrong tomb and saw the stone rolled away, stones aren't used at tombs. So... Saying they went to the wrong grave is highly unlikely unless there was two graves with big stones across them with the Roman seal on the, on the uh, stone. Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene saw Jesus put, put into that tomb. If you're a mom of a child, it's going to be really difficult for you to get the grave site wrong. And on Sunday, Peter and John, after Mary tells them, the tomb is empty, somebody stole the body, Mary, uh, John and Peter take off Peter has a tendency to do this. They take off and they run, and it's a race to get to the tomb, and they arrive at the tomb before the women come back with them, and lo and behold, they came to the wrong tomb too. They would have went to the right tomb, right? And they would have said, you girls are nuts, man. The, the stone's still here. And Now, they ran to the same tomb, and they saw the same thing. You see, when you examine these things, they make no sense. It makes no sense that this is a different tomb or the wrong tomb. Well, Craig, how about this? Maybe thieves stole the body. That's a good one. Like maybe, maybe thieves stole the body. Well, here's the problem with that. You've got a tomb with a stone across it that is guarded by two Roman soldiers. Right? Okay, so let's say you take the soldiers out. They didn't say anything like that. They didn't look like they were taken out. They, this tomb is being guarded by two Roman soldiers. That is a big deal. There was a seal put on the tomb, a very heavy rock across the tomb, and... If Christianity was spreading like mad and some thieves had the body of Jesus, wouldn't it be a wonderful idea to show the body to the Roman leaders of the day and say, hey, you know what? This whole thing is a, a big farce. We have the real body of Jesus. We'd like to turn it in for a small fortune. And the Roman leaders would go, man, we'll give you whatever you want, right? If they can squelch Christianity because Christianity was built on the fact that the tomb was empty and nobody could disprove it. Well, Craig, maybe the disciples stole a body. Maybe they wanted to get Christianity up and running. Maybe they wanted the power of religion. The problem with that is everything we've talked about so far, the disciples all went to their death for what they believed. Th that is a crazy thought. And, and they were rejected and they were beaten and, and treated very badly. They all went to the de their death for their faith. And, and their, their families were killed in front of them. You've got to think to yourself, if you're telling a lie and you've got the body of Jesus in your closet, you're probably not going to go to, the, to death 
for what you believe. You're going to, somebody's going to give it up. Somebody's going to say, okay, this is not worth it. We, we do have the body, and here it is. Stealing the body would admit that their faith was useless, so why would they die for it? And, again, the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers. These Jewish people, like, Peter couldn't even swing a sword right. He hit the ear. How's he going to take out two Roman guards? So, Craig, well, maybe the religious leaders stole the body. That's the dumbest one yet. Here's why. The religious leaders hated Christianity. All they needed to do was drag this dead body out and throw it in the middle of the square and say, Christianity is dead. There's your Savior right there. They could just produce the body and say that they were the real religious leaders and Jesus was a heretic. And why did they bribe the guards to lie? Guards come and they say, the tomb is empty, and they say, okay, listen, we'll give you a heck of a lot of money because we don't want you to tell anybody that Jesus is gone, all right? Say that you fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. And they said, okay, we can do that. Jewish authorities were making the accusations that the body was stolen. They wouldn't make those accusations if the body was still there. And if they could just show the body, they could put this whole thing, Christianity, to bed once and for all. Lee Strobel was... You may know that, that name. He was, a, he was a skeptic at one point in his life. He was a lawyer. Nothing against lawyers, Brent, but he was a skeptical lawyer. He was tired of Bible thumpers. And he set out to prove that Jesus was a fraud. And when he did, these are his words. He said, I got to the tomb. Now the question is, how did it get empty? When I was first trying to figure out this as a skeptic, I went through a list of possible suspects but I just couldn't come up with a reasonable explanation. Why? Because all explanations are crazy. Islam teaches that they killed the wrong guy. But even if that's the case, you still have an empty tomb. And what do you do with an empty tomb? Let's talk about Jesus' evidence real quickly, all right? Kind of covered some of this already, but Jesus predicted his own death. He predicted the time his death would last. He uses Jonah as an example. He says, just like Jonah was in the whale for three days and three nights, so I will be in the grave for three days and three nights. This is before he died. That's a pretty big prediction. Not only did, would he die, but he'd be in the grave only three days. He filled all the Old Testament prophecies about being a suffering Savior, Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53, or being crucified in the, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 16. He predicted that he would rise from the dead. Luke 9.22 is a great one. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Any questions? That is at the beginning of his ministry. <laughs> Jesus is under the impression, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to be in the grave three days. He predicts this several times. And he predicts this, this resurrection, this miracle, will be the catalyst for others to believe in him. John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Why? Because Jesus would be killed and raised from the dead. Therefore, those who believe in him will die and be raised someday. He rose bodily, not spiritually only. How do we know that? Because he asked Thomas to touch him. He could be touched, and he had breakfast on the beach with those guys. He ate. He had a real living body that rose from the dead. No other religion claims to have a living, breathing God waiting to return. All right, is that like a fire hose? Did you get a lot of information? That's purposeful. Because the big thing is, so what? So what? Let me read you a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Listen, church, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Futile. And you are still dead in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. For if in Christ we only have hope in this life, we are to be of all men and women most pitied. You know what that's saying? If Jesus had not risen from the dead, this is a huge waste of time. It doesn't matter at all. And the faith that you so lovingly hang on to is a big lie. You're wasting a lot of time. You're giving away a lot of money. You're spending your energy way too much on this thing because it doesn't matter. If Jesus 
did not raise from the dead, this is a waste. How much of our faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So I would say to you a couple of different things. Number one, a logical person cannot ignore the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I know Jesus wasn't a liar? Because he rose from the dead. How do I know Jesus wasn't a loony? Because he rose from the dead. How do I know Jesus wasn't a cult leader? Because he rose from the dead. No other religion claims to have a resurrection. Do you know why not? It's way too hard to pull off. Everybody dies. All but four of the major world religions are based on mere philosophical propositions. Did you know that? Let me say that one more time. All but four of the world's major religions are based on mere philosophical propositions. The four that are based on personalities rather than philosophies, of those four, only Christianity claims to have an empty tomb. The four are, in 1900 BC, Judaism's father Abraham died, and they buried him, and he didn't come back to life. In 483, the Buddhist writers say about Buddha that he died, and quote, with that utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains behind. Buddha is dead. In June 6, uh, 632, Muhammad died, and people saw him, and he didn't come back to life. But in 33 AD, Jesus died, and then, after three days, shows up, eats with, touches, has breakfast with, and appears before, and teaches over 500 different people in all different locations. Only Christianity pulls this one off. Christianity narrows mostly at Jesus Christ. He is the star of God's story, and he proved it in his resurrection. Number two, the resurrection is the actual story of God. If you're looking for God, you have to look at Jesus. You have to. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the actual story of God. How can you read Anne of Green Gables and never recognize Anne? Can you tell I have four daughters at home? How can you read Harry Potter and never recognize who Harry Potter really is? I've never read Harry Potter. If you have a Bible that talks to you about God... That Bible fully talks from beginning to end about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the star of the whole story. God validates who Jesus is at his beginning of his ministry. At the baptism of Jesus, God says, this is my beloved son. Later on, he'll say, this is my son. Listen to him. Voice from God, from heaven. The Bible constantly, the God of the Bible confirms Jesus' identity through raising him from the dead, even at the end of his ministry. Acts 17, I'll read you one more time. In the past, times of ignorance, God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, Jesus is the star of the story of God. If you believe in a God who did not have a son, who died and rose from the dead, you don't believe in the one true God. Can't be done. You can have your own reality of God. That was last week, pluralism. You can believe that reality to be true for you. That was last week, Gnosticism. But the problem is, you still got the claims of God in the Bible. You have to burn the book. You can't leave Jesus behind. The God of the Bible is a God who has a son named Jesus, who lived as a human, shed human blood, and rose from the dead. Number three. The resurrection also proves that Jesus is the only way to God. Thomas says to him, John 14, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where, we, where you are going. This is before Jesus is killed, and he's with his disciples one last time in the upper room. And in John 14, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what's going to happen next. The world's turning upside down, and I think they're coming for us next. The Romans are banging on our door. And Thomas says to him, how can we know the way? How can we know what's going to happen? Jesus said to him, Thomas, listen. I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father. Church, will you say with me? Except through me. Jesus thinks he is the only way to the one true God. Jesus didn't rise from the dead to give us some existential goosebumps where we can sing every once in a while about his resurrection on Sunday morning. Jesus rose from the dead to prove that his word is true. He rose from the dead to conquer sin in the grave for us. He rose from the dead to show us we can rise from the dead someday. (laughs) You don't believe people rise from the dead? I sure do. Because I'm going to raise because Jesus rose someday. And Jesus rose from the dead to ensure us that he has given us the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate looked in his eyes and said to Jesus before he let him die, what? First and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I've got the keys to life and death and Hades. You know what that means? That means if you want to get out of death, you better find the guy who has the keys. No other person, no other personality, no other philosophy, no other religion claims to have a God who has the keys to death. This guy claims to have it. He proved it by raising from the dead himself. And if you want the keys to life and the keys to death so you can get out of that too, I'd follow him. Heard a story by Bruce Howell, tells a story. A Muslim in Africa became a Christian and some of his friends asked him, why have you done such a thing? He answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you're going down the road and suddenly the road forks in two directions. You don't know which way to go. And there at the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Which one would you ask the way? The last thing is number four. You may say these things are hard to understand and accept. That is the best honest answer to anything we've said today. Because they are hard to understand, and they, hard to ex- they are hard to accept. Can I read you a passage of Scripture that might give you a little bit of hope here? When Jesus started talking about the fact that he was going to die and rise from the dead, the fact that he was God over and over and over again, his disciples finally had it. Did you know this? He didn't have just 12 disciples. He had hundreds of disciples. And they were hearing him talking about, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. And they're going, come on, give it a rest. We know that you're a really good teacher. We know you're a good prophet. We know you're all these things. But God, come on, don't keep saying that. Put that, you may believe it, but just hide it in the background. And he kept saying, he said, in three days I'm going to rise. And you're going to kill this body and blah, blah, blah. He's talking about his resurrection all over the place. And his disciples finally had it. And they said, we just can't believe this stuff anymore. Did you know that? Here's what happened. John 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, in other words, Jesus claims to be God, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? And if you go down just six verses later, it says this. John 6, 66. <laughs> John six sixty-six says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you guys want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If this is hard for you to believe, you join a host of people who this is hard to believe for. But where else will you go? Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. That is why God has taken the time to explain his truth to us in Scripture. No one will ever stand before God and say, you didn't give me enough proof. You didn't give me enough to go on. You might say, oh, Craig, that's still enough. Not enough. I've got to see a risen body. If Jesus would just walk through the door, then I would believe it. I hate to tell you, but that also happens in Scripture. Jesus was given that argument as well. He said, Jesus, this is too hard to believe. Just just show us something miraculous, and okay, then we will believe it, like a dead body walking around. Just show us something. Jesus said to that, that group of people in Luke 16, verse 31, he said to them, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. You see, if you're not going to believe all of the evidence, 
all of the proof, all of the teachings of Jesus, all of the scriptures that point to him, all of the prophecies that were fulfilled. Jesus says, listen, your heart's in a place that even if you were to see somebody rise from the dead, you still wouldn't believe. You've been given all you need to believe. The real question is, are you really searching? C.S. Lewis said this, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. What more do you want from God? He has given us his Son to prove his identity, and he has risen him from the dead to show us who he is, and he has left us an empty tomb that you cannot ignore. And someday, we will all be asked what we did with this information. And I want to tell you, there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It is only Jesus Christ. Is Jesus God? He has to be. has to be. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to the end of this study, a lot of information, just like fire hose. And there's a lot more that could be said, sitting on my cutting room at, at home. You have given us everything we need for godliness and righteousness. You have given us the way. You have told us the truth. And you have offered us life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. And so, Father, I pray, I pray, I, I beg you to break through strongholds of disbelief. Pull people out of the darkness, away from the questions they worship, into a life of faith and surrender. I pray that they would abandon the futility of what the world claims that Jesus was, and that they would take a real look at the hard facts of who Jesus claimed to be and how he pulled it off, how you rose him from the dead and you validated his message in doing so. And then I thank you, I thank you, God, for all of us that have loved, lost loved ones, people who mean the world to us, who believe in you, who have given their lives to follow you. I thank you, God, that you give us picture after picture that the resurrection is true. It's real. It's real. It's real. I thank you that we can hope in that and that you've not let us, left us here as orphans, but you've given us a Holy Spirit who helps us in faith to believe more, stronger, deeper, and to grow in our faith. Lord, my greatest prayer is that we can turn this world, this unbelieving, atheistic, Gnostic world upside down with the truth of who Jesus was and the power of who Jesus is, and the promise of who Jesus will be to those of us that love you. So thank you for our time here this morning. May your Holy Spirit do the rest. In Jesus' name, amen.